So hi everyone and welcome to the Science Roadie podcast where I'll be talking to incredible women working in science and music, uh, two of my concerns in my own life. And today I'll be talking to uh, an amazing researcher, um, Eden Hennessy from uh, Wilfrid Laurier University in Canada. And Eden is researching the um, the consequences of confronting sex uh, confronting sexism in science, technology, engineering, and maths. So the STEM subjects, and I'm really keen to learn more about it. She's also the creator of an amazing interactive photo exhibit, which is called "Distractingly Sexist and Distractingly Honest." Um, so definitely check that out. It's it's incredible. Um, so yes, hi Eden, welcome on the show. And thanks for um, taking the time as well. How are you today? Hello, 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 Isabel. I am. Uh, I'm so pleased to to chat with you. I was. It was great meeting you um, in February, and now we are here a few months later. And uh, and I'm feeling good because I'm about to um, finish my PhD. So that is a very exciting a good step. A good a good step forward. And uh, yeah, I mean, looking forward at what I'm going to do. And that's. Um, very a very exciting prospect. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm pleased to chat with you about about everything that's going on. Okay, very cool. So maybe you maybe can just directly dive in there where you um, mentioned your work as well. Can you can you please like intro yourself a bit on on kind of the work you're doing and what you're currently working on? Like you're finalizing your PhD now, and um, so could you could you uh, give a bit of like information on what you're currently doing at this point? Absolutely. So um, I'm, a, I'm finishing my PhD, which is on, the, as you mentioned, the cost of confronting sexism in science, but I'm also um, working for the Laurier Center for Women in Science uh, at Wilfrid Laurier University. That's in Waterloo, Ontario, which is an area they, uh, they, the world calls uh, the Silicon Valley of the North. So we have um, Google locations here and uh, bring in billions of dollars to the global uh, tech economy, even though we're just a small, a small community in, in Ontario, Canada. Um, so I, I live here, I work here, um, and currently uh, I'm working on a bunch of different projects that really straddle uh, arts and sciences. Um, and so that's a major focus of mine, um, as well as, of course, um, the main subject of confronting sexism in, in science. But like I said, and, and as you, you know, um, as a researcher, you have many lines of research. Um, and so broadly, I look at diversity promotion uh, and discrimination reduction. So those are kind of my two uh, big areas. Um, and so I balance, uh, I balance different things experimentally and, uh, and then put the results into different means of outreach, um, including academic publications, but also uh, photo research exhibits specifically. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. So yeah, um, maybe, um, so around when you, for example, are um, assessing the consequences of, of confronting sexism in science, uh, specifically then in your research, I was really interested on how on to under, in trying to understand on how you do these assessments in terms of um, mm. yeah it, because it's it's in terms really of methodology yeah, to, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah yeah it's a it, it's a great question and it's something that um, research on confronting sexism has. Uh, I mean, that's a, that rides an ethical line, right? Mm -hmm. um, so for those who aren't aware of, of generally what social psychological um, research does, 
is um, it often uses um, things like deception and concealment um, very strategically in order to create conditions um, in which participants provide realistic responses. Um, but the balance is always to get people to respond in a way that they would in reality, but in the case of something like sexism, you don't want to actually put them at risk um, of, of harm. And so it's a, it is a tricky balance. So there is some research that has actually compared the two. So what do women do if we ask them to imagine that they're, that they're experiencing sexism, how do they respond to it, versus actually manipulating sexism or exposure to sexism in a real-life lab setting and seeing how women respond there. And interestingly, that research shows that they respond very differently, and perhaps not surprisingly, but like a lot of social psychology, um, things that we all, you know, in, in, the, in, in the, the non-academic sphere go like, well, of course, right? Like, of course that you would expect to see that. But there needs to be science and data in order to back that up where other factors are controlled, right, in, a, in, a, uh, uh, in an empirical way. Um, and so that is a really tricky thing to test. So in my research, what I do is I test using um, hypothetical scenarios. And so this is a, a very common methodology used in social psychology um, for those exact reasons I mentioned. So it is more uh, ethically sound. Um, however, we do sometimes use concealment. For instance, what I mean by that is I might say, to participants, this is a study about um, how women in science act in groups. Mm -hmm. So technically, I haven't told them really what it's about, but I've said enough so that, you know, I can recruit the specialized population that I'm looking at. I mean, one of the challenges in studying women in science is that there are so, so few, statistically, um, and depending on the area that you are interested in, that varies greatly. So, um, so something that I do is, you know, imagine, so Isabel... You're a participant in the study, and I want you to now read the scenario in which someone says to you um, something really sexist, and, and you're working in a lab situation. Mm -hmm. Now I ask you a variety of questions, gauging how you might respond to that. So how likely would you be to um, stand up and swear at the person? Or how likely would you be to you know, enact these different sorts of, of confrontations? Um, so, so in my stuff... Uh, what I do is I actually manipulate the confrontation as well. So then I would say, okay, Isabel, that happened. Mm -hmm. And now this is what you did. So you stood up and you said, well, actually, you know, there, women are just as apt in science and just as capable, uh, and you confront it in this way. And now I gauge. So some women, I would say, you, you imagine you confronted. And then other women in the control group, I would say, imagine that you did nothing. Mm -hmm. And so I would look at their their uh, responses and statistically compare them so that I can say if I expose women in science to sexism and, and have them imagine they're confronting these are the outcomes and if I have them imagine sexism and no confrontation these are the outcomes mm -hmm. and so really what I find um, in this work is is some evidence that women in science do face greater costs than other women so at this point what I've done is I've sampled uh, so men and women reading about a woman in science, and I find some interesting uh, for some interesting gender differences there. And again, some people might say, "Well, of course." However, it hasn't been empirically tested. So up to this point, nobody has studied, um, you know, the cost of confronting sexism in science specifically. So we know about the cost of confronting sexism more generally, and we know that just in general. Um, you'll face, women likely face social costs um, or consequences like being derogated or excluded. Um, but we don't know how that specifically might be different in a science context. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so that is where my dissertation research um, was developed um, and uh, with my advisor, Mindy Foster. And so what we do is we expose, uh, yeah, specifically women in science uh, and different groups of participants, men, women, um, to these scenarios and then gauge their responses. And so, yeah, we found some interesting gender differences such that uh, the, our male participants did direct greater cost at, uh, at a woman who they read about confronting in science versus versus arts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could have some interesting implications considering the science context is predominantly male. Um, now, we also found on an encouraging note that the female participants who read about the woman confronting in science liked her a lot. Um, and so what that could suggest is that if we get more women into these scientific spheres mm-hmm. that other women will have their back when yeah, they do stand up and confront. So that's kind of cool. Um, and so we find kind of a mixed results with, with gender, uh, and then we compare women in science to women who are in, like, let's say, arts or business, um, and we find that across across the board there, for women in science specifically, they really feel, um, I think there's some evidence that they feel compelled almost to um, confront in non-science situations, which is something I'm interested in getting uh, opinions on and why might, that might be the case. Um, and then I also look at, like I said, varying the different styles of confrontation. So, um, I mean, within this dissertation, there's been, uh, there's been a lot of research, uh, covered. And then I've also been, um, really busy doing these photo exhibits, which are, you know, a love, um, in itself, um, and something that is, uh, that's a, an, a bit of, I went a bit rogue in the dissertation there. Um, and, and, uh, it, it's good to go well, off of that. <laughs> well, it's not really I mean, off, it's, it's once in a while, like it's very creative what you did because it's very visual compared to like people get it when they see the pictures. So that's, yeah. And so, I mean, the, the, I mean, going from how you study, like, something like sexism uh, and confronting sexism in science in an empirical kind of way so that you can really have data-driven findings, um, that kind of coincided with having this opportunity to, my, my university said, uh, I, I, I got a, an award this one year, and they said, you know, you should, we want you to do something creative with this. We want you to do something, you know. Uh, just interesting and so uh, and we have a space a gallery space and we you know so I mean I I, there were it all kind of really um was synchronicity I think because I I, at that point I was introduced to you know a a friend of mine who uh, worked for the works for the graduate student association who said you know I know this photographer and she's talking about sexism and the technical aspects of photography and you guys should really get together talk about your research and science and how that, you know, impacts sort of your life and, 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 uh, your work. And she should share about, about this commercial, you know, sexism and commercial mm-hmm. photography. And I went, cool. Yeah, absolutely. So we got together and I, I shared this work with her and I, I, I drew, you know, kind of like, a like a storyboard. Uh, so for something like a, like a stage play or, um, or a television show where you would actually, you know, draw it, sort of this visual scene of how to represent this piece of your research. Um, and, and from there we took, uh, I recruited every, <laughs> I recruited everyone that I knew, um, and said, you know, this is kind of a weird request, um, for academics, especially. Um, but you know, here's my dissertation research. Here's this opportunity, um, to, to make the message to kind of change the way we think about, mm-hmm 
um, women in science and, you know, who they are, what they look like, what a scientist is, what a scientist looks like. Um, yeah, no, no, absolutely. I think it, it's incredibly important. I mean, having been in science for a very long time myself, as a woman in an engineering um, faculty, uh, which is very male dominated, it's it's incredibly important to have role models that you see uh, there are female role models and just the support as well and to be able to to see what is possible in a career in science and also if you struggle that you actually have a support network um well exactly and that's really um i, I think that that connecting you know connecting people through this photo exhibit has been a really unexpected an important outcome, I think, mm-hmm. um, in, in that it's, it's a, you know, we, I, I've really learned from one of my role models, um, Dr. Imogen Coe, who's the Dean of Science at Ryerson University uh, in Toronto. Um, I, I've learned from her that how important a strong network of like-minded women and allies is, and that can make the difference between, um, perseverance and, and success or not. Um, and so I think it is, it is really key that you have, you know, different ways to get this message out there um, because not everyone will be exposed to the sort of internal conversations that are happening, whether that's on university campuses or in specific labs um, or even in specific disciplines. So, uh, I mean, I remember growing up, like, I was a complete arts kid, like, absolutely, like, I am going to the stage, that is it. Um, and, and, and I still, and I still, you know, have a bit of that and I, and I love that. And that's, you know, I have a, I front a band and, you know, write music and I know you shared some, that you have a similar sort of path, a double life. A double life. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so, I mean, there are, you find ways to, um, to not just survive, but to thrive in, communicating something really important and that's now that's what I you know I found that I kind of you know like I fell into this almost I mean it feels like you like sort of just it happened but when you look around I guess you realize a bunch of different sort of factors were all kind of um leading up to this and even in some of the questions that you you know that I that I often answer like you know who inspires you who you really as I've kind of reflected on some of that stuff now I'm like you know, I see that it's not a, it wasn't a linear path at all. Like it isn't for many people. Um, I really thought I was going to be an arts person. My dad's a voice actor. Um, my mom, uh, loved, loved writing. Um, yeah. So you, you really think you're going to kind of go into this one, uh, area. And then now I, uh, you know, I found a way to kind of combine my love of communication and, and the arts with, um, with having data to back it up. Um, so coming back to your research, I'm, I'm still very interested in, in one aspect of that as well, is that sure. you met, so uh, basically what you also do is look into interventions for women to buffer yes, women yeah. from um, from basically the, the costs of confrontation. And I was wondering yes. whether you could go into a bit more detail there as I'm interested to understand how how you would come up with one, what would be a good intervention, for example? Right, and, right. And, yeah, so, and they're, um, they're, so, yeah. Sorry, so what I can tell you, uh, tell you there is, um, is that there are some really interesting findings already um, in terms of buffering women in general from 
Um, well, not really buffering them from costs, but in in uh, what's what's the I guess I guess what I'm really looking for here is is the stereotype inoculation model. Mm -hmm. So this is, uh, and this is a paper by um, Stout and some colleagues, and I can send you the, the link to that so that you could post that if you'd like. Yeah, um, and it, it's, yeah, it's, it's a very clever titled paper as well. It's called Stemming the Tide. Um, and I, I appreciate the pun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this paper shows, um, and this isn't my work, this is this is work of, of um, other researchers, but, but shows that you can actually inoculate women from something called stereotype threat using the stereotype inoculation model. So what they suggest is that you can expose girls and women to counter stereotypes. So, uh, so like an expert in math who is also a woman, and that can actually influence the degree to which um, women uh, report having intentions to pursue science careers, um, and also how identified they feel in those disciplines and how efficacious they feel in those disciplines, which we know um, are factors that predict whether or not they're going to stick around. Mm -hmm. So important stuff. So that, so borrowing from that previous research, we thought, well, can the same things, can the same strategies also buffer women from the cost of confronting sexism? Mm -hmm. And so now, so the, so the methodology that I mentioned before um, is now adapted. So we would actually sort of, as the stereotype inoculation model would, would suggest, we would actually inoculate uh, women from the cost of confronting sexism by having them read about, for instance, uh, successful women in science. So that might be having a mentor, as you mentioned, how valuable that can be, or having a role model. Um, we also might use something called affirmation. So affirmation is uh, affirming your identity in a different domain. So there's a whole other literature on self-affirmation within social psychology that shows that how you can uh, affirm somebody else's domain in a, in a different kind of context, so not the one that's being threatened by, let's say, women writing a math test, mm -hmm. um, and, and that can actually um, alleviate some of the threat to that stereotyped identity, um, and, and women's performance um, actually increases under those circumstances. And so some interesting work at the University of Waterloo has, has also done uh, things like varying affirmation. Okay. And so, um, so using all of that as the basis for what we're doing, that's how you would um, that's how you would interject at a, at a point in which you can actually switch sort of or emphasize somebody's um, psychological focus, so that so that they are kind of cut off from from the costs of confronting or to sexism in general. So this these studies are currently running, so I can't tell you about the findings because we don't yet know. Yeah, yeah, um, no, no, absolutely. Yeah, so that's, it's, it's one of those things that's like when it's hot off the press, I'll, I'll, have, to, I'll have to let you know. Um, <laughs> but it's also long-term, I mean, long-term follow-up, basically, because if you confront sexism, you kind of need to wait to see, like, what the repercussions will be on someone's, let's say, career or... I guess as well. Right, and you can't, exactly. So, I mean, the, the, that's a really great point in that, you know, the things that we're looking at are, um, you know, more about the well-being and the sort of um, costs perceived at that moment, mm -hmm. you know, so following the confrontation, whereas absolutely what you're saying um, is, 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 is really right in that you, these costs could occur months down the road when somebody pulls a reference letter. Um, yeah, exactly. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's, I mean, and that's in that way, you know, uh, the things that we do in, in the lab are almost like so controlled, but you can't, I mean, you can't predict life, right, and what's going to happen and, yeah. and other people's um, reactions. And so 
we can kind of work with the averages that we have and kind of what we think will happen and, and predict things accordingly to, to that. Mm-hmm. However, um, it is so important to recognize that there's such variability in life um, and, and also sort of historical context can influence that, right? So the, a lot of the current movements that we're seeing, like Me Too, um, are really, I think, sort of... Um, opening up the conversation around things like sexual assault and harassment at work where, you know, many women are still facing costs, but I think it is, I think we're actually witnessing historically, um, a point in time when we're, where these stories are like, uh, you know, being aired on mass, right. Across, um, across entire, you know, fields like, like Hollywood, for instance. Um, and then we're starting to see that, well, I mean, the things that we, that women have talked about in whisper networks for years, are, are really all getting linked in the public eye for the first time. Like, oh, so sexism in science is in many ways parallel to sexism in the recording industry or in the film industry. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. No, absolutely. I think it's really important what is happening now, um, yeah, in terms of all those movements and just being able to to link all these industries together that everybody really struggles with this with a lot of the same issues as a woman in in yeah different fields in in whether it's in science whether it's in music whether it's in film um and and that it's still very hard for i guess even if you confront it as a woman the research that you're doing i think is very important as well to actually have the data supporting it and making it in terms of of um because before let's say like when when a woman often it's the same with sexual assault and so on if that would happen yeah. often being taken seriously was not always the the case but if you can support it with with data and so on i i guess that that really will will help even more t- women to come right. forward and, 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 yeah. we, and we, we are an evidence um you know in academia certainly is an evidence based um, profession. Uh, so, yeah. you know, and, and most things are really when you, when you think, and many things are when, when you think about that in terms of, of professions like clinical trials, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we, we think that a drug works up until we run the trial that shows that it doesn't or, you know, and then so we, we try different things. And so we, you know, we uh, eat the foods that are approved by, you know, the FDA or by mm-hmm. a governing body that tells us, right, depending on the evidence, um, that's kind of the way that our uh, our behavior is shaped. Is so it is really important to study um, this particular topic because I think um, it's one of the biggest issues, social issues that we're facing. Is that there seems to be? I mean, for years there have been programs to appeal to girls in science. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and yet we see very very slow uptake. Um, and even some downward trends um, in computer science in North America. So I think that it's time, and this is why I'm particularly looking at confronting sexism and those costs, um, to look at the culture um, in which in which science operates and, and academia, but then also, you know, turn that scope to all areas of our lives and say, um, you know, how, what are the barriers to true gender equity in this, in this context? Um, you know, what is, what are the factors that are leading us to these places? If it's stereotypes that we need to work on and, and cultural stereotypes and the way that we are raising children, um, and messaging that we give them about girls being, you know, good at caring and liking people and boys being good at making things. Um, 
I think I think we have to really take a look at you know the messages that we expose people to early on in life and and the consequences of that. And it's not about blaming anybody for underrepresentation. I think we just have to figure out how to address it. Um, and I think we all, and one way to do that is to highlight the sort of vested interests that we all have in making this happen. And I, I mean, I really firmly believe that, uh, I mean, if I, if I were designing, you know, um, solutions and ways to address climate change, um, I don't, I don't want to leave half of the experts out of the room because of their gender. Um, you know, I want, I want the best, right? It's like if I had someone operating on me, I wouldn't want to leave half the doctors out of the room because of their gender or because of their skin color. I would want the best surgeons. Um, and so I think that that's, that seems to be a way, that sort of narrative seems to be more appealing um, to, to a great number of people, including, you know, fathers who are raising young daughters. Um, and for, for those who say, you know, I'm, I meet a lot of women, a lot of younger women, um, who, who are anti-feminist. Um, and I think that that's something we need to address too, is like, well, if that's, if that's, if, if the word is an issue, if that's, you know, if that's something we need to, to address, then, then we need to work our ways around this so that we can garner the most possible support in terms of recruiting and retaining women. Um, right. Otherwise we, we, um, we really risk, leaving the solutions to problems inside of girls and women's minds never to be seen by the light of day. Um, no, no, that's a big risk, and I don't think we want to take it. No, no, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you've probably seen the videos as well that they've done with kids um, showing um, uh, certain professions uh, like pilots and surgeons and um, mm. firefighters fire and then have them have kids basically draw how they see them and basically they would all draw draw male characters and then they come in the actual people come in and it's all female a female pilot a female firefighter um and so on and and all the kids are like what the (laughs) what the hell is is, yeah is this really happening and then uh yeah it's incredible. Yeah, I mean that the, the uh, specific. I mean the draw and engineer test, for example, has been around since the '80s, mm-hmm. and so we. It's really cool that we have data now showing, and a recent study just came out showing that for the first time ever, kids are now drawing not more women than men when it's something like draw and engineer, um, but more women than they historically have yeah, in the yeah. past. So it is like you know that's kind of cool and, and, and encouraging in that that things are changing, and I think that we have to also take note of that, right, and take time to say, um, you know, in my program as, as, a, as a social psychologist, um, it's predominantly women, mm-hmm. um, up until, up until a certain point, right, mm-hmm. um, and by point, I mean, usually stage and career, or, um, which, you know, we, we tend to see that drop off as well around the sort of assistant professor or, you know, postdoctoral sort of stage, um, for, for many reasons that, my goodness, need to be discussed yeah. like like the lack of you know structural support for uh you know parental leave and and mm-hmm. you know thinking about the way that we that we deal with that um 
And so that's something I'm really interested in, in, in getting more attention on as well uh, at the school that I'm at is, for instance, getting like a lactation space in the science building so that women don't have to like sit on a toilet, but also find an outlet for the breast pump, um, you know, like, like lepers, because that's like, that's really, um, it's very insulting and, uh, and, and it's not accommodating to the, um, yeah, so to probably in my, for instance, in my building or the school that I'm at, it's predominantly women, and yet, you know, there are few um, conversations around things like lactation spaces or change tables. Um, and I'm talking getting them in the men's and the women's bathrooms, right? Yeah, yeah. So that, right, so that we can have everybody participating in in parenting. Um, I think that's going to be extremely important, and I think it is likely um, almost a matter of time. Um, before, you know, we, we have, we're sort of forced into having these conversations, even if people on the administrative level don't want to, uh, because, you know, for instance, in Canada, women are 70% of university graduates. Um, now there are only 30% of STEM graduates. So, you know, that's when you hear stories about, for instance, you know, an engineering building in which there's only one women's bathroom and a men's bathroom on every floor. And that's, because, you know, at one point there was, you know, one woman came into the program, right? But uh, generally speaking, the structures that we operate in, um, and sometimes even we see physical structures that remind us of that, like the bathrooms, that, you know, things have changed in the last maybe 40, 40 years, right? Um, and, and I'm really interested to see, you know, what will change uh, coming, you know, from this from the next generation. Um, yeah, and, no, absolutely. You know, yeah. Oh, you think well what do you think will will happen do you you know are you are you hopeful about this um i mean i'm 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 really trying to be and i'm um because i see that like teenagers and growing up having well there are like two sides to it one they there's a group that really seems to be very confident and and have have really this this um, drive in changing the way they or they want to take their place in basically in an mm-hmm. equal society with men at the same level have a career have like all the opportunities that men have. Then on the other side, I see a group of women that or or, or young girls that because of this kind of journey and and portray the how how women are kind of portrayed I guess often still in in media and so on that's like often still like a lot of the maybe they have the confidence but they their confidence is kind of reducing and reducing because of lack of safe spaces for example to create in a safe space like the music or or uh, do scientific things or technological um, projects in in kind of a, a space that they can thrive and and continue to grow so I I think there are like but I, I I'm really yeah hoping for things to change but as you say it needs to really change on the well both on the frontline level because there that, that's where people can do and make a difference but definitely on the executive level especially in education Mm-hmm. Um, where the balance think, needs um, to shift, so definitely. And what you said, what you said about the, you know, trying, I think, is really important, mm-hmm. and and learning about how to fail, mm-hmm. um, and 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 just how to, which is really just learning, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. I don't, but but that does seem there seems to be some kind of link there between, 
um, confidence, mm-hmm. um, and, and willing to sort of fail and have, you know, the spotlight be on you and everyone look at you, right? That sort of very, um, and I, I certainly remember feeling like that as a teenager, right? Like very, uh, I mean, the spotlight effect is a known psychological effect where you think everyone's looking at you. Um, we can turn it on and off experimentally it's, and it's really does. I mean, in that stage of your life, it's like you care so much about what people think. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And so it, it, having that space, you're right, to try and fail and to try things and not like it and be like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to do this. That's, that really is needed. Um, and to, to look at that outside of fields like computer science, I mean, that's just an inherent part of, um, of, of that field, for instance, right? It's like, is, is trying and failing and trying and failing and trying and failing. And that's just a part of the process. Um, whereas I think you know, with the messaging that, that contradicts a lot of the messaging that we give to young girls, which is, you know, you, you need to be the best and you need to be the, the prettiest and you need to be, you know, the thinnest and the tallest and the smartest and the, you know, most successful. And, um, and we're cultivating that sort of maladaptive, I think, perfectionism, um, that is, yeah, that's really going to limit the ability to just try and fail and, you know, that cultivating that fear instead of courage, um, yeah, that, absolutely. That, it does have repercussions. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a sales um, uh, pitch that I saw at some point, and it's basically um, like when the woman was talking about as a small girl, when you would climb up this high ladder, and then you need to jump from like this high plateau onto a big mattress. Um, mm. The parents would say like, "Oh, be careful, be careful! Don't do it, don't do it, because you'll mm. hurt yourself." While for boys, they were usually like, oh, you can jump, it's fine. It will, And right. if you hurt yourself tomorrow, it's fine. But try again. And But it's like from a very young age that like, yeah, it's been put on. Yeah, I mean, these stereotypes are, are, you know, often now we're even seeing at these at gender reveal parties, um, you know, people stereotyping, heavily gender stereotyping the baby before they even know the gender mm-hmm. of the baby. Um, and so... I think that that is, you're right, we wrap a pink blanket around the girls and a blue one around the boys, and from that moment on, we treat them differently. Um, and and that does have consequences for then, you know, of course we tend to say things like, you're so cute, to give focused, uh, we, we focus our compliments with little girls on their appearance. Um, and, and I mean, the, so some of the images that I use, for example, is a, a daughter of one of my colleagues who's a data scientist, um, and she's, you know, on one side has all the boy toys, quote-unquote, and all the girl toys are on the other side of her, and it's very clear, um, and I just asked real parents that I knew to bring in the toys, it was very clear to me that the girls were given ornamental pink, you know, fun things like uh, like makeup and like, like a teapot. Um, and the boys were given things that were all blue and very uh, utilitarian, so like a little chainsaw and a hammer. And um, and I mean, so in this one image, this this uh, little girl is like six months old, and she's and she's you know sitting there as a with all of these sort of it's almost like choose your own adventure. But many times um, the limitation I think comes from not having awareness of that choice. Um, or, you know, we tend to, to give children one kind of toy and then just not talk about any of the other ones. Um, and so I think, yeah, it's consciousness raising right from the start. Um, and having some of those, I've had some of those conversations at my photo exhibits with parents who 
you know, I approach for a conversation and they're like, oh my God, have I screwed up my kid beyond all, you know, um, recovery? Like, is there, you know, have I really done, have I really done my daughter a lot of harm by only buying her pig for the last five years? Um, and I think that the answer, you know, is probably no, but, uh, but that, but you can't really tell, right? With those messages that somebody receives, we don't really know the influence that, that that's going to have, um, on their lives at various points. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's, yeah, it's like something that, that I don't mean to, um, to, you know, upset people and draw, draw attention to like, Hey, this is what you're doing wrong. or This is what you're going to do to screw up your kid. Uh, but I think it's just important to consider the different sort of possibilities and again, have all that information so that you are aware of things like, you know, the strong stereotypes that children have by formed by three or four years of age. Um, and so we, and I think that is a part, a part of what we're seeing now in, in the world is, is changing. We are seeing more, you know, uh, recognition, for instance, like you mentioned, the drone engineer test, mm-hmm. we are seeing more, more of a change in, in sort of those measures of stereotypes at a cultural and societal basis. Um, but what we do, we do know also is that girls and women are, uh, really talented mm-hmm. in science and math and they love it. So it's like what, you know, we're turning to something we were chatting about earlier. What, yeah, what, what is it then that is leading us to a place where women are interested in loving it and, and doing really well, but then leaving? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's that leaky pipeline thing again. And, and I think having, like you say, um, like you said earlier, like not having the the opportunity of actually having a, an amazing career and if women choose to have a family at the same time to actually have an, a, a place at work where they can thrive and they can have um nurture their babies and or do other things or but have have like the opportunity and also for fathers to have that yes if they want and and yeah and, until that changes yeah i think it's um yeah, it will. But I mean, there's there's lots of great initiatives like like books that I don't know if you've heard about the Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls, which is like this amazing. Oh book. no, I have it. Oh, that that it's does for sound young good. girls and and um. But it's it's like a book full of amazing women, uh, nice. that have done amazing things, both in in, in different fields, artists, musicians, and, and so on. So it, uh, and and. Yeah, really portraying uh, strong women, basically, or, or very talented women. So I think, yeah, that's that's really Yeah, important. I mean, there's, there should be, um, it's not, and it's not to say that, like, everyone should know what they're going to do. Like, we, we, you know, many of us have several careers over our lifetimes. Um, and so really identifying what it is that makes you excited um, and passionate is, um, is, I think, the, the sort of, um, the piece that we should be focusing on and figuring out what that is, whatever that is, you know, getting people to really channel that um, so that we kind of move away from the model of, you know, you, you go to university, you graduate, you get the job, you work for 40 years, you retire. Um, because I think that we're seeing that that's almost not possible um, anymore in terms of, um, you know, what most people are working, yeah, like uh, do, even with a dual income, uh, and still, you know, to buy a house is, you know, extraordinarily expensive and then your kid's tuition and, you know, then, so when you, when you put all of that together, I'm really not sure that, you know, we're, um, I'm not even sure that we're asking the same questions anymore about things like, you know, and that's why, I mean, a number of, um, 
organizations that I consult with um, are very interested in things like developing more inclusive parental leave policies um, so that to encourage, you know, if we're, if we're saying that we, we, a piece of making, um, you know, increasing women's opportunity in the workplace is to also then change the way we think about who fathers are. Um, you know, that's an important conversation too. And something I think we really do need to know. We need to have more research on that. Um, and something, that's something I'm also interested in is, is, uh, is sort of, you know, like fathers, let's say in a science profession, um, who, you know, have their kid with them as they lecture. Um, is that, you know, what are the perceptions of that uh, person, uh, you know, in the way that they're communicating and teaching and existing as a scientist versus when a woman does that. Um, and I mean, we, we are seeing some cases, uh, that are, you know, people who are just doing what they want, going to work, nursing their children in whatever capacity. And that's, you know, I think that that's a decision that every person individually is going to have to make, but I think that it's really, it's really cool that we're starting to talk about, yeah, how do we get, you know, how do we get dads into this and men, um, and and everybody's kind of learning, right? So I think compassion for ourselves and for each other is, uh, is really going to be necessary as we figure this out because, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out how to do the, you know, how to do the sort of the best dance um, yeah. when it comes to saying parenthood and, and being a career scientist. And, you know, even when you think about something like, um, you know, being a musician, if you're a touring musician, um, you know, if you're nursing a child, the, the implications of that are far different if you're a man versus a woman, um, just physically alone. Right. So, um, you know, I think that we, we, you're seeing, we're seeing a lot of kind of changing norms at one time. And it's, I mean, it's a really interesting time to be alive. And I think it's, it's like the heyday for social psychology right now, because, you know, we have so much, we have so much connection to each other and we have so much, we're having such interesting conversations. Um, and, you know, politically and socially, the activism that we're witnessing right now, um, is it's, it's, I really do feel like there's some kind of change brewing. Um, uh, but I, I also, you know, I do, I, I do see great sort of potential in the, the next group of, of, of people who are coming after us who say, you know, I, I, I can do whatever I want. It doesn't like the fact that I'm a girl doesn't even occur to me, you know, in this equation. And, and I mean, I think on the one hand, that's great because it shows the effectiveness of the people in the past who've done such amazing work to open those doors for girls so that they're not aware of things of bias. Um, but it also is, you know, we, we can't, uh, we can't then forget that it is still happening for many women and, and how variable the situation is for women in terms of gender equity still around the world. Um, and that's, I mean, that's a, a bigger conversation that I've, I've been a part of with some women in physics, for instance, from, you know, every country, um, at, at international conferences for women in physics where they're talking about, you know, well, you know, in, in our, in our particular country, we might need a quota, even though in North America, you would look down on that and think, you know, everything must be merit-based, but for us, we just need to get women in the door. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah um, because, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you that often, I mean, or the fact that obviously you would go, you would need to go for the best person and everything should be based on merit. But I do agree that even though I, I'm not a fan of quotas, I think yeah. in some cases it's really necessary to make a change, especially on 
a political level. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, some. Uh, I mean, some. There's been some resistance when you uh, on on in terms of academia and, and scientific panels, for instance, which some people started to just call mammals if they consist <laughs> yeah, of, of only men, uh, right? And then they would say like, "Well, I'm not coming to your conference unless half of the panel is female." Um, and so there are. You know, in that case, there are some kind of these these swift kind of moves that, that do garner some backlash. But at the same time, that you know, on the panel that year, there's equal representation, isn't there? So, you know, I think there is something to be said for that. Um, and I mean, another, I mean, so as I was chatting to you in the beginning about these sort of different lines of research that I have um, on the go, one of them that I'm very jazzed about with um, uh, a professor named Ann Wilson and um, Ivana Heide. Uh, and they're both professors at the University of uh, Wilfrid Laurier University as well. Um, and we look at varying diversity and excellence um, in experimental uh, job advertisements. So what we do is we would have a job advertisement for like an assistant professor. And this is fabricated, but of course, based on realistic materials. And um, we give it to people and it's a job ad for an assistant professor. And we say, imagine you can apply for this job. Um, and then at the bottom, we just vary one sentence that either is about, uh, we want, you know, um, we're recruiting for a candidate who is one of the marginalized groups uh, under employment equity in Canada, which, um, you know, there are four, of which there are four, so people with disabilities, minorities, for example, and women. Um, and then in the other condition, we would make it about, we just want, you know, this academic superstar, basically. We just want somebody who's like the best of the best of the best, and we don't say anything about employment equity. Now, importantly, for a company in Canada, um, our Employment Equity Act and legislation is actually um, required. So for companies over a certain number, they, they have to include that statement. So it's on every statement that is looked at for things like jobs and institutions, and hospitals, education. So between those two conditions, one that says, you know, this employment equity is, is our focus versus the absolute best person, what we find is that people engage in this sort of zero-sum, uh, naive lay theory that we theorize people have such that diversity and excellence are not actually friends, they're not actually positively correlated such that the more diverse, you know, your candidates are, the better the company becomes, but instead people have this idea that the more diversity the less excellent um, the candidate will be, the less excellent they, the uh, productivity will be. Uh, and then that transforms into a dislike for the organization and an unwillingness to apply. Um, and so this, this work is, um, and, and it's really interesting stuff in that it's not something, as I said, that we've cooked up that's in the lab that's entirely different than what happens in a regular, in, in everyday life. People look at these job advertisements and see, you know, we especially welcome applications from this group, this group, and this group. Um, yet we know very little about how people are actually perceiving those kinds of statements and what it will psychologically do to them and whether they'll apply or not, importantly, because if the whole point is to broaden the research pool, then you could be inadvertently actually turning people off by emphasizing something that you actually are legislated to have to do. Um, and so it's this trade-off, you know, how do we, and importantly, it's actually people who, so all, of all participants, most people, when I tell them about that research, say, well, okay, it's got to be, you know, that just the people who aren't uh, included in those types of policies who object to them. 
And, and I'm afraid not. So over several studies with many, many participants, we have evidence of, you know, even people, even women and racial minorities, for instance, who would benefit or beneficiaries of those employment equity policies also say the candidate will be less excellent and I'm less likely to apply. And so what's really scary about that is that, you know, it suggests that people have internalized some of this, um, you know, this notion that diversity just means less good. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. very interesting, very interesting uh, results. And here, I guess you work like, do you you look at like um, uh, really the the four um, diverse groups, right? So right, it, yeah. yeah. So in, in specifically now, we also um, we've also run some studies using um, American participants, and so um, you know their groups are slightly different in affirmative uh, covered under affirmative action, for instance, uh, veterans. So. Um, You know, so so it's depending on uh, the group that you're looking at. I mean, we 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 did predict that we would find, you know, generally speaking, in the literature on reactions to diversity, people do differ by whether or not they are beneficiaries of those policies um, in the way that you expect. Such that, you know, if you benefit from them, you typically say like, okay, I'm, you know, I think that that is is um, you know a better quality initiative. Or whereas the people who aren't included will say, well, you know, that's that's unfair. Um, and I mean, this concept of unfairness and is really something that is, um, it's, it's really so embedded, right, within academia. Um, even now, we, I mean, and things are becoming, I don't know about um, your field, but things in, in social psychology are certainly becoming more um, transparent in terms of the methodologies that we're using, in terms, and, and, and sort of less based on, like, the honor system. So... Right. I mean, as people become, it's more and more competitive and people scramble to get out publications. And, you know, there have been some really famous instances of, of people um, fabricating data, for instance, um, and, you know, to doing what it takes to kind of get ahead in, in this cutthroat business, publish or perish, right? Um, yeah. And I think you know, there's, there's a lot of things like pre-registering your studies going on. Yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, I'm, 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 uh, that's a very, I mean, it's, this is a conversation. We can have another podcast about that as well at some point. We can, but we can. <laughs> publication pressure is, is incredible, incredibly um, uh, detrimental for academia and uh, in the way that it has been evolving over the, let's say, the past 10 years. Um, I've oh. seen it evolve before like 2008 until today. Mm. It's like you say now, now it's like you have, you publish every result or people fabricate things or, um, I mean, it, it, it's, and the way reviews are being done often as well, um, need to change. Yeah, I mean, it actually bias. all can be related back to women in science when you think about it in yeah. that, You know, it's that pressure to publish is mm. so extreme that we're asking people to do, you know, publish as many papers as you can before you finish, then if that, then it's likely going to disadvantage women disproportionately if they're taking off nine months or a year to have a, have a baby. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, right? So that, I mean, it is really this whole culture um, is, is something that needs to change because even, you know, when we veer into topics like, you know, that, that might seem almost unrelated, mm -hmm. um, you know, like publication pressures or just a general sort of productivity-obsessed culture mm -hmm. um, of academia, I think it really does go back to, you know, that pressure to, to be the best, to do whatever it takes, to sacrifice whatever it takes. Um, and, and I think it'll also, um, you know, disproportionately impact women because 
that pressure um, is, I mean, you, failure is a huge piece of being an academic, right? You submit papers, you've worked on for years, you get rejected. Um, so if you're not up for... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you're not up for that constant sort of criticism and evaluation and the sort, the sort of, if we don't train and and culture those qualities in girls, then how do we expect them to experience that as adults? Yeah. Um. Yeah. And stay and stay, stay around. Like they're just not going to. I mean, and so it's. I think there's something that needs to change absolutely within the culture that we can say like, okay, it's, it's and it's not that we need to like, you know, soften things for the women, right? That's not what I'm saying. Um. It's, it's it's about adapting, adapting everything to be accessible to everyone. And I mean, in Cambridge, in University of Cambridge, recently there was something about the uh, giving more time on math exams. So that's based in literature that women experience stereotype threat when they're writing math tests and their performance suffers. So what they did was they just added extra time for everybody. Um, and so that you know. Can the male students complain that women are getting extra time? No, because they're also getting it. Um, and, and are the female students, you know, being given special treatment? No, everyone is. So it's, you know, there are some, some things being sort of written into this at a systemic level that will counteract some of the things that are almost like a more individual difference. But overall, when you put a classroom of girls together, um, you know, that's your next group of doctors. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Right, like it really, yeah. It's it's it's, it's, it's sometimes the change can come in little in little and unexpected ways or things that you know. And there's of course there's still some backlash, but it's it's I think having a universal design will do a lot for both both gender for all genders actually. Yeah, yeah, because absolutely, I completely agree with that. I mean, I've been mentoring um, for young kids age seven and eight as well, and going into nice. schools and. I mean, like groups of boys and girls and, and the girls, they want to become doctors, engineers, firefighters and everything. And, yeah. and the boys equally, they want to do go in dance, go in whatever they want to be as well. But then suddenly there's like a point in their life at the age of like probably 11, 10, 11, 12, I, like something changes. And, and, that's, and that's, pretty, that's pretty clearly researched too, right? I mean, and that's... It really does coincide, it seems like, with a certain developmental stage mm -hmm. in which your social group and your social identity is, it trumps everything else in terms yeah. of importance. Um, you know, you care about how you look and how people are perceiving you, your friends, you know, maybe the attraction of the opposite gender or sex. Um, and that's, and that's kind of what fills your, fills your focus. Um, and and I really do wonder, like, you know, how will things change? How how will things change? Also, now that technology has allowed people to connect instantly all over the world, like we are right now. Um, I mean, how is that going to change the and, and things like? I mean, when when I was a kid, looking at magazines of definitely pictures of women that were edited, um, you know. They were, it's less likely that I would have, you know, we didn't even have open conversations about that 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Now it's like, you know, certain things are being restricted, like you have to declare on a, you know, in an ad whether or not it's been retouched. So I wonder, like, yeah, and, and there's so much access to information. Will, will girls do things like research stereotype threat and knowing about that? I hope will knowing so. about that do something, right? Like, will, will that access to information... Um, do anything positive i don't i don't know and i think certainly we've seen some well we've seen some mobilization around the world like the kids in the united states who were just yeah. marching 
for the, for their lives. Um, right. For gun reform. Um, I mean, that's like, I don't think I saw a single picture without every person in it with a phone in their hand. Right. So, um, you know, science and technology plays a role in our ability to move forward as a society. Um, and that's something, you know, you're seeing boys and girls, men and women participate in because we all have a vested interest in that. Um, and I, I, I think that, that, sort of the more we focus on the, our commonalities right yeah. um and that goes for you know not just not just genders or racial groups but also for you know across disciplines um how can we you know you straddle that line of you know being in a band and yeah. also being a scientist also being an entrepreneur you know a businesswoman um and that's many different hats that you're kind of wearing um and so like yeah how do, how do we get people to sort of do that can we clone you is my real question <laughs> possibly possibly no but i think i think that's very important to show even young girls as well you can be whatever you want to be when you grow up basically right. i mean you can if you want to become a scientist and musician and entrepreneur and baker and and anything you want to be you yep. can if you i mean if you're given obviously it's it's about because you you really want that that's one thing but also you have to get rid of the the barriers that are put in place externally and that is something right. that you basically have to fight against but and we're seeing that happen in you know things like you know i saw a great photo series the other day of boys crying oh yeah, yeah. um you know these kind of conversations that were like and similarly right if a little boy wants to go into nursing then we need to recognize that we all have biases and ideas and stereotypes about what nurturing is and who does that um so i think we you know we're getting we're really we're really getting to a place where these conversations are are happening um it's like on a daily basis i'm on a roller coaster of like i'm so encouraged by something and then i'm like so discouraged by something else um so it's you know things are will i think feel like any great you know, revolution or, mm -hmm. or movement for human rights, you know, two steps forward, three steps back, but you keep going. And, um, and, you know, I look around and, you know, at, at the, some of the students that I work with, some of my mentors, um, you know, some of the scientists that I meet. And I just think like, you know, we're going to be okay. There's, there's some incredible there's some incredible humans on this planet. Um, yeah. And it's going to be really important that we capitalize on our ability to connect with each other right now um, to do that. And so, I mean, I'm thrilled to be chatting with you about these big and intense conversations because, you know, this wouldn't have even been possible um, several decades ago. So it's, yeah, it's really, it's, it's something that is like, it's a, it's a really exciting time and focusing on the excitement of, of innovation and that possibility of what equity can allow all of us to do is, uh, is, I mean, that's really what keeps me, keeps me going. Yeah. I think it's a very powerful message that you just gave as well in the sense that it is just really important to continue working on, on making the world a better place and making it equal for everybody that lives in it. And, and, um, And I yeah, think, I mean, when yeah. you think about something like like hashtag Me Too, right, that just happened, yeah. and millions of people from all over the world participated in, even that is like, well, that rests on the contingency that you have internet access and a yeah. computer, mm. right? So even that, the women who are most um, likely, who are most marginalized or damaged by things like like uh, gender discrimination, we're not even hearing from. Yeah. So 
I mean, there will be these. Um, so I think it's like we have to recognize, yes, we're doing important things, but also we can't forget where we are, right? And that we have we have we have much more work to do. Yeah. So it's kind of like the simultaneous, you know, if you can juggle three balls, it's like the past, the present, and the future, and you're kind of always trying to, you know, remember what's gone well, you know, celebrate where you are currently, and then also hope that you're doing the right thing, um, you know, as you move on to the future, and that's. And that's really all that, you know, that's really all that any of us can do. And I, I certainly never thought that I would find a way to combine all of my sort of interests. Um, I didn't really think that it was possible to, you know, be a singer in a band and do photography exhibits and do, you know, outreach and research on STEM. Um, it's, so I think that, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's also like important for people to realize that, life is variable and, um, and the path isn't always clear. And many people that I chat with, um, my, my mentors have had these really zigzaggy, you know, paths to their final destination. Um, and so kind of their advice to me has been, you know, get up every day with like, you know, like it's kind of live like it's your last, right? Do what it is that, that you love um, try and make a positive impact in whatever way you can, you know, um, but also listen to your, listen to your gut, you know, like listen to that intuition. And, and I think that that's really important for all people to do, to figure out what it is instead of cultivating, you know, following orders that we cultivate passion. Um, and you know, the world as we are transforming it uh, into is going to need passionate, innovative people. Um, you know, it's going to need rule breakers. Um, of course, rule following is also important. That's I wouldn't have gotten through academia without <laughs> following things like deadlines, right? Um, no, but, also, but I yeah, it's that, it's that risk piece too. Yeah, no, no, I think you're very right. The, the risk taking and, and the innovators that that need to kind of step up and be given the opportunity to basically change things because, like you said earlier as well, the way we work today is not anymore the way we our parents worked it's very different a career of 40 years is not not anymore in the cards for most of us today and yeah just the way technology moves as well so quickly you just need to constantly adapt to what is coming and what's changing and and you do you do and and i mean some of the most amazing um I mean, I was given a, I did some consulting a little while ago for a museum and um, profiled a bunch of women in science who were like, you know, amazing over time and uh, many of them Canadian. And in doing that review, um, I found two cases that I constantly cite um, that are now a couple of years old. But in terms of like the coolest stuff that's going on, um, like a young woman by the name of Haley Tedesco, um, she won the Google Science Fair in 2014 and she's working on the... Um, West Coast of, or the, the West Coast of, of Canada, and she's developing uh, a filtration system for the tar sands that's 14 times faster than the current methodology that's being used right now. Um, and she's in high school. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. Now in college, right? We, um, Anne Makazinski is another one from, you know, that, that made headlines a few years ago from uh, British Columbia um, in Canada on our West Coast, where she made a flashlight powered by the heat of your hand. Um, and you know, so there's all these like inventions that, um, and, and all this innovation that's happening at such a young age that it's like, it's, it's absolutely mind blowing. Um, 
and, and it's really important that we that we that we take note of those things and celebrate them and um you know and talk about and talk about just how incredible these inventions are and these accomplishments are um and and if we i mean i certainly want the tar sands to be cleaned up 14 times faster than they currently are so it's like give that girl a grant um <laughs> No, but that's it. That's the thing. Yeah, encouraging them. Just, yeah, the encouragement to move on and to show that what you're doing is incredibly important and, and just keep going. What you're doing is, is can make such a difference to someone. Well, it can. And I mean, having that messaging um, and, and then being supported to, you know, to figure... And, and, and I mean, necessity is like a lot of, you know, um, uh, for instance, the uh, the amazing creation um, that's developed by a pair of sisters, the Thinx underwear that are like, um, they're like a, like a menstrual pair of underwear. Mm, yeah, I know them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Like that's, a, that's been a huge innovation for something that is a necessity for women who are, especially if they're running around and they're working and they're, you know, um, really on, on very busy schedules. Like that's something that, that was innovated out of a, a real need. Um, and, and now sure enough, you know, the demand is there because they're just supplying something that should have existed, um, you know, many moons ago. So yeah. I, you know, sim similarly contraception for men, right? Like that's, um, I don't know why that's taken so long to happen. I have some theories, but, um, <laughs> but it is. So, um, you know, so we need to get that. And that, so I think that as we kind of like all, we're seeing all these different kinds of things evolve, um, we can, you know, something I just came across this week is the third, have you seen this third thumb project? Uh, is it um, like where you learn how to move like you, no, I haven't, I think. Maybe well, I have. I think, yeah. yeah, you're kind of onto it already. It's like a, basically, an ex, uh, it's like a, well, it is literally a third thumb prosthetic. So it's not, it's looking at prosthetics as a way of adding something additional yeah, to the body yeah, instead of yeah. placing something missing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's controlled by a, a sensors on your, on your shoes. Um, so things like that where, you know, we're seeing such exciting things being generated um, to, that can maximize kind of our, our potential in ways that we haven't even thought of. So, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's like every day you see something that's more exciting and more innovative. A lot that I'm excited about and at the same time, you know, like I said, there's a, it's been a roller coaster for the last, um, especially kind of year and a half in the more North American context when things sort of sociopolitically have been changing a lot mm -hmm. um that's kind of keeping and, and and that also has rolled into impacting both legislation related directly to women in terms of uh, reproductive rights yeah. and also science in terms of um you know funding science um or muzzling scientists for for their findings um so like it's really i mean both of these issues have women and science have been at the kind of um, forefront almost of a lot of these conversations for the last couple of years. So, I mean, like I said, I think it's the, I think it's the heyday for those of us who study these, yeah, yeah. Um, these, these sorts of issues. It's like, you know, it's, I think, uh, in part, I, I am where I am today because of, you know, the support of uh, many incredible, helpful people and mentors and teachers, um, and colleagues, but also just because of the women who are willing to, talk about these things finally um and and willing to you know stand there and put their face in front of a project that will travel around the world i mean that is the the cost of confronting sexism it turns out were um you know i i didn't really realize i was almost asking people to do that by participating in the photo exhibit but that is in the end 
what it is. Yeah, um, you know, it, it's a public declaration that, that you know there are costs for doing this, that there is a problem, but it's done in a way I think that is just less threatening. And when you make something personal um, by showing a real, you know, a baby or a woman and her child, or you know, um, and, and then like you know, also funny things or you know, um, thought provoking things. It's a uh, yeah, it's a, it's a different way of communicating that. And I mean, that's. So that's what gets me really excited now is kind of thinking about, I mean, yeah, what's, what other messages can we be conveying to people in a, you know, in an interesting way um, that gets academia out of the academy and brings it to, you know, everyone because everyone has a right to that research and has a right to that knowledge and, um, you know, information can really do a lot for people. Education is, is uh, something that can change the whole course of your life. So, um, yeah, why not get it out there in an interesting way and to the most people that we can? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I think as well, I mean, education is the most important thing in, in someone's lives. You can make your life. And, you, and the way you just grow up and evolve is 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 is. Education is the most important thing, basically. That if you don't have access to it, basically, your all your chance chances in life have been reduced by so much already. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing um, in my own life as well. I mean, what education can do to just shape who you are, and that goes for, in in all fields. Like talking about music as well. When I was on on a, a camp learning about music, and then suddenly you. you form a band you write a song you perform live in less than four days and in in mm. a pub and and it's like wow what happens <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> this like transformation inside just by learning something that actually you don't you didn't know initially that i, I we actually did this and we created yeah. this from scratch and and yeah that's really amazing so yeah and i mean that um that, that it's also an important kind of point you've raised is is encouraging people to you know be proud of their accomplishments and be um, and especially for young girls to be you know to to um, to not you know shy away from being superstars um, to not shy away from talent and um, you know and 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 that is I think that is sort of related again back to risk and, you know, taking chances and, um, feeling secure enough to do that in yourself. And that's something that is people in all different stages of life will probably come to, um, at different times. But, um, I mean, that's, yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited to have some of the conversations that I am having with girls who are like 12 and 13 years old. And, um, I mean, they're like, because of probably because of the internet and because of like, you know, all of the information that we now have access to, they just like, I'm like, there's nothing you guys don't know. Mm -hmm. It's uh, <laughs> they're very, they're very bright and very quick. Um, and so it's, you know, I, I think that all that we can hope for now is that, you know, we, we, we really put our energy into working on changing cultures and stereotypes um, and, and spreading the information about those things existing in the first place is, is a good first step in doing that. Mm -hmm maybe to end on that like what what would be your kind of like or final thoughts or advice to people that are listening mm. in in just like doing a small thing to try and change it in the right direction for example or 
Well, I think that, you know, uh, whenever somebody invites you to a kid's birthday party, um, <laughs> thinking about the toys that you're giving is a, you know, a simple thing, right? That's something that can be um, extremely, um, it can send signals um, to, to kids that we might not be necessarily aware of. And so there are lots of different options out there that are, you know, um, that are just neutral or, you know, just to be aware of those sorts of things. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, something else that, is, might be valuable is to think about yourself and your different identities and your different um, sort of aspects of yourself and how the, each one of those exists and, you know, relates to each other. Um, and, and also, I think it's important to um, chat a little bit about the sort of mentorship piece in, you know, especially for women in STEM, but for, for all of us um, as we sort of exist in life to kind of have someone ahead of us by 10 years and then someone, you know, maybe behind us 10 years um, so that we constantly are reminded of the journey that we're on as a process uh, and that there's, you know, in 10 years we'll be in that position, right? And 10 years ago we were in that position. So, I mean, it's, it's something that I think can keep you quite grounded um, and, rem and, rem and in touch with, you know, what's going on in terms of the world and what matters to people in different uh, stages of their lives. So I think, uh, yeah, I think keeping keeping in contact with a lot of people and also even those who don't have the same opinion that you do um, is really important. So uh, having the opportunity to debate different ideas. Um, and, and finally, to use the information that you have. Um, so a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about, a lot of the studies um, that I've mentioned are, are available publicly um, through, through you know, open, source, open sources like Google Scholar. Um, so, you know, where I would encourage people to, you know, dip their foot into the academic pool uh, almost or, you know, use the research that's there and the data that's there to, um, to back up some of their arguments um, and to strengthen the way that they feel about certain positions might be, might be valuable as well and, and uh, can take the conversations that we're having instead of throwing opinions at one another, we can start to talk about it from a data-driven point of view. Um, and I think it's important to also, lastly, just uh, recognize your own agency. So, you know, you're, yes, we are only one, you know, you're only one person yourself. But if all of us, you know, join the same team, that's a, that's a, that's a loud chorus um, and one that becomes harder to ignore. And so I think that, yeah, taking advantage of what science and tech can do for you in terms of social connection is really important. Uh, and, and, you know, that can, in, in, uh, in a, in a roundabout way, connect you to other people and open up opportunities like mentorship. So, you know, take advantage of those things. And, and in this day and age, anything, I'm almost, I'm almost a hundred percent confident, maybe not, but I'm, I'm very confident that almost anything is possible with enough creative minds working on it. So, you know, I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah, it's paramount. It's paramount. Right? Things that we didn't think were possible are like, oh, now that is possible. So, you know, if you have an idea, if you are a little boy or a little girl, you know, a man or a woman, anybody sitting at home, um, and you have an idea, but you think, no, that's too crazy or that's too extreme, um, I challenge you to reach out and tell someone about it um, and see if you can turn an idea into something concrete um, because we're only here once. Uh, on this planet as this person, right? So take take a risk and um, because innovation needs you. Very cool. Very, very cool. Um, yeah, I think that's the perfect um, 
time to start the quick fire quiz Q and A sure. as well. Oh yeah, fire at me! <laughs> so, um, are you ready uh, to go? All right. So here it goes. Oh, so, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> so, what are what are you currently reading? Um, it can be anything, like nonfiction, fiction. Uh, Scientific well, this is, yeah. this is going to make me sound like the biggest nerd ever because I don't read anything that's not a research paper because I've literally just been writing my dissertation. Um, so currently what I'm reading is nothing. Um, so I'm currently reading a lot of academic papers. That's, that's it. Yeah. Which is cool. No, that's really cool. Okay. Uh, and then you're, maybe you've, you've mentioned it already before, but maybe it's something else. Your favorite scientific or technological invention and why? Well, I mean, I have to just say the internet in yeah. general, mm -hmm. because it, I, I'm of that generation of, you know, I grew up where it wasn't very common. Mm -hmm. um, and now and now I'm seeing a time when it's the only, you know, method that we it's how we work, it's how we communicate, it's how we live. Um, and so I have a real appreciation for the you know, the ability to, at one point I can remember actually being a kid and saying to my parents, like, imagine you could just know anything you wanted at any time and holy crap, not, you know, 15 years later, here we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so definitely I'm like big, big internet fan. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I agree. I, w I would say it's definitely up there for me as well. Um, yeah. yeah. And then, then music related. So an album or a song that impacted you in some way and how, how it impacted you? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I'm a, I love music. I mean, I, I love singing, I love writing music, but, uh, recently I've been turned on to a band, um, called Royal Canoe and they are a Canadian band and, um, they're kind of referred to as like the mad scientists of, of rock. Uh, and so I would encourage people to check that out because they've, they do a lot of experimentation. And so when I'm listening to them, it's, it's impacted me in a way that I've, I've, I think a lot about how to blend different things and borrowing from different, you know, disciplines, um, combining arts and science. I think about a lot of those, you know, a lot of those messages are within that music and they're very experimental. Um, so an album of theirs called Today We're Believers um, is, is pretty excellent. Uh, and then, I mean, in terms of just another album from my past that has uh, that impacted me was Amy Winehouse, Back to Black. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that is, I mean, uh, I, Amy and I were born in the same year. Uh, you know, I often, I really, I really uh, identified with her, and I love that she threw back to the old, you know, style of jazz and Motown um, and she seemed like something from a different time period, um, and, you know, really captured that spirit of, of jazz and, and sort of funk. Um, and so, yeah, that album was, uh, that's just one of those albums for me that will be in my rotation forever. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. She's, yeah, she, she was amazing. Uh, uh, and then, yeah, recommendation of a work by a female scientist or a woman in tech or... Any like a, a woman that kind of you when you came across her, you've worked with her that you said this is something that anybody should kind of look into this person. Yeah, well, I mean, as I mentioned, I I probably it would probably be those those students that I talked about. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Haley Tedesco and uh, and Makazinski. So they're two mm -hmm. Canadian kids, and I mean, for people listening, look them up. What are they doing now? 
I mean, there's like they they were winning awards and inventing this stuff maybe two three years ago. So like, are they? You know, where are they? Are they? And this is a question I have for your listeners. Um, follow up on these on these kids and see what dynamos they've turned into because I'm uh, you know it would be really interesting to follow that kind of journey. Um, but yeah, I mean, all all inventions that I. Uh, that I mean, there are so many women from the past mm-hmm. as well who who haven't been recognized. So I think um, you know, recently at the Center for Women in Science, we did a, an exhibit, and it was actually a, it, there were illustrations um, by an opera singer, um, but at the same time, she's an illustrator, and they were all of of, of five different women in science. Um, and so, for example, like Tu Yu Yu was was um, is a chemist for instance, and, uh, you know, she went back to the traditions of Chinese medicine to discover wormwood as a way to address um, malaria uh, because the, you know, antibiotics had become resistant. And so, you know, it turned out that, the, that one of these remedies was actually laid in medicine, you know, hundreds of years ago. Um, so, you know, there, I think there are so many examples and, in, and you know, things like BuzzFeed are doing a pretty good job at putting out... Um, putting in articles of like 10 women in science you've never heard of. But I really also would challenge your listeners, uh, like a mentor did to me a little while ago, who said, you know, name one female scientist. Like name, you know, name five. Can you, you know, if you can name more Kardashian sisters than you can name women in science, we have a problem and you're a part of it. So, <laughs> so that's now the Kardashian test that I, I think everybody should have to do. You know, we'll not call it officially the Kardashian out. test. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's really amazing. That's really great. Yeah. yeah. So everybody listening. So let's get started. Um, let's the Kardashian way. test. You know. And, yeah. Uh, and just you know, it's 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 that in that way, it's it's really important that we mm-hmm. also challenge each other and say mm-hmm. like, you know, if you can name five men in science, then you should be able to name five women in science. Mm-hmm. It's not a big thing, but it's it's something that is you know you realize in your own consciousness that you there are, are uh, these invisible players who've been there all along creating science and innovation, and we just haven't given them the credit they deserve. So now is the time. <laughs> No, absolutely. I completely agree. I mean, it, it is it is so important to do that in in any type of field that you work in. Uh, so very cool, amazing. Okay. Yeah. Thank um, you so much for the opportunity to to chat with you. It's been um, it's been really really exciting and interesting. No. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I learned so much and uh, yeah, really really great conversation and and uh, I mean one thing for you i guess is is best of luck with your phd i mean when are you defending exactly again thank or? you uh, june 19th june 19th okay very close yes. then. Yeah. so then after that i you know i'm gonna continue on and do more work um in this community i want to get another yeah. photo series out there yeah um and uh yeah and, and just continuing on to do to do this research so um, if people want to connect with me in any way, they can follow me on Twitter at Eden Hennessy. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's honestly the best way to get a hold of me. Just send me a direct message or tweet at me, and you know, and, and let's keep this conversation going. Yeah, absolutely. I will add that to the show notes as well, so people can find it back. Um, okay, very cool. That's really really great. Uh, thanks again for for all the information. Uh, all the best 